section twenty of heroines of fiction by william dean howells this librivox recording is in the public domain charles kingsley's hypatia the interest felt in the novels of the bronte sisters was from the first intensely personal and it grew more and more personal as the veil was lifted from their pathetic lives and the close relation between what they had written and what they had been was seen in the average unliterary mind the relation between the author and his work is always a thing to be taken for granted he is identified with this or that person in the fiction and if the reader of average unliterary mind has the chance of speaking to him about his story he will say there where the girl comes to you and you tell her or the like sometimes this is amusing and sometimes it is dismaying in any case it is useless for the author to protest and it is not very good business for him to do so the average unliterary reader loves him and his work according as he finds him personally in it or believes he finds him this passion was fed full in the case of the brontes and they were taken to the hearts of their readers as few authors have been their books were in fact very personal to themselves charlotte may be easily and probably associated with the nature if not the character and experience of jane eyre she can hardly be dissociated from it and if in the more detached and dramatic story of wuthering heights emily cannot be so unfailingly identified with this or that person yet there is an identity in the animate and inanimate environment of her life and that of the people in wuthering heights which is quite as satisfying to the average unliterary mind she had not and could not have the world-wide worship of her sister but her cult was of a more fervent devotion with the zeal and the spiritual pride of a small sect in it and doubtless many a bruised and prisoned spirit wreaked its bitterness in the wild turbulence the lawless violence of wuthering heights which could not find outlet even in the revolt of jane eyre against the social and religious formalism of the time but perhaps because personal merit triumphs in that book over all adverse circumstances it was dearer to more hearts and the author was dearer for people like to see virtue rewarded it is at least certain that it was personal to more hearts and it stands better than wuthering heights which is a struggle with fate for the personal insurrection against convention which in some sort or other is always active the insurrection against society in the larger sense is less pervasive because it is of more alarming implication but this too is perpetual and at the same time that jane eyre was stirring the world's sympathy for a young girl striving single-handed with unkindness and temptation there was another book making its powerful appeal for justice in behalf of all those who have not against those who have for the toilers against the idlers for famine against surfeit for mass against class for manhood against moneyhood one one of the most striking things in charles kingsley's alton locke taylor and poet is the modernity of the problems involved 
the conditions combated the terms of the contest and the very language in which they are stated the book is on this side palpitantly actual though the literary attitude is so old-fashioned and outdated the chartist agitation of fifty years ago is mirrored in the socialist aspiration of the present day its aims are effectively the same its means the same its vocabulary the same and neither the reasons nor the unreasons with which it was then met have since changed its quarrel is now less with aristocracy and more with plutocracy but these were always really convertible if not identical and now the quarrel is more directly with capital because class without capital is no longer to be feared the one great matter in which the new industrial rebellion differs from the old is in its attitude towards religion but this change has taken place less through the hearts of the toilers than through the hearts of the teachers the church has risen to an ideal of christianity which was intuitive with the world of work and need and it was already beginning to imagine its duty in the modern industrial conditions when alton locke was written how much that book had to do with clarifying its conception of this duty it would not be easy to say but we can make sure of the fact that alton locke has been potent as a twofold protest first against the cruel exploitation of labour and second against the misdirected resentment of the sufferers its insurrection is on a far broader ground and with a much wider intention than that of jane eyre it is human and that is personal but because humanity is still so much weaker than personality it has probably influenced vastly fewer readers then it has failed of equal influence undoubtedly because it is not of equal art it is a polemic in which all the characters of whatever party they apparently are are always arguing for the author they stand for this thing or that but they have not risen of themselves they are where they are because he put them there english fiction is for the most part still in the stage of allegory though there were always masters who could teach it the higher function of drama charles kingsley was not of these masters at least in alton locke and he was too didactic by nature and by culture ever to be simply representative he is trying to carry a point to enforce a truth rather than to show it and let it enforce itself in alton locke the hero who speaks for himself in the autobiographical form is really a character a person kingsley always dealt well with the literary type its consciousness its conceit its self-distrust its timid selfishness and its bursts of enthusiasm but the others are merely frameworks actuated directly from the author doing the things they are expected to do this is especially true of the two women who must stand for the heroines neither lillian winstay the shallow-hearted romantic beauty who flatters the poor poet by her pleasure in his verse and his picturesque personality nor eleanor staunton who snubs him for his good but is really his friend and the faithful friend of all the poor 
is more than an illustration they have their being not in a world of law but a world of special providences the world of nearly all english fiction and they do what it happens to them to do and for the effect upon alton locke whom they are to teach that if the upper classes are sometimes self-absorbed they are also sometimes self-devoted this was a useful thing enough and something that not only a burning-hearted orator and agitator like alton locke could profitably realize but that all the struggling and suffering lower classes would do well to understand yet it was not a thing that could give them dramatic projection apparently beyond the will of their creator lilian wednesday was of rather more palpable substance than eleanor staunton and in her more complex behaviour she achieved something like the complexity of a real character she is at least not exemplary and so far she is saved from the worst that can befall a type in fiction or perhaps in life in a book so largely devoted to making it clear that the church is not the enemy but the true friend if not sole hope of the poor it is much to have her the daughter of a dean and it is in the interest of her reality that she is kept from anything worse than an intellectual flirtation with the sweatshop poet or from anything but an aesthetical appreciation of his picturesqueness Two it is a curious fact that a sort of imagination like that of a poet and especially such a poet as kingsley was can somehow give its creations greater verisimilitude by putting them back in time where they may be posed in an arbitrary light with a setting unquestioned by the familiar experiences and associations of the reader for this reason hypatia in the novel of her name is more lifelike than eleanor staunton and her foil pelagia is more lifelike than eleanor staunton's foil lilian winstay hypatia is really a young lady of the early eighteen fifties of the time when young ladies of her type were crudely called strong-minded she was a sort of alexandrian margaret fuller with more good looks than our transcendental muse could pretend to but not of a loftier ideal a purer soul a more orphic utterance she was a woman version of julian the apostate and she was born in athens and lived and lectured at alexandria not long after that paganizing reactionary failed to persuade the world that there was something in the old mythology or philosophy she had a large following of cultured and gilded youth but the mob led on by the turbulent monks of the city under the countenance of the patriarch cyril rose in tumult against her and she was torn to pieces by the christian zealots so far history with whose elements our poet and kingsley was a very true if not a very great poet deals as he may and will and reconstructs in a figure of at least as much recognizable reality as the heroines of his novels of modern life it cannot be said by the unprejudiced reader that his hypatia is an attractive personality he has somehow failed to give her charm though he has given her a beautiful body perfectly moulded features with blue eyes and yellow hair and a glorious intellect 
but the truth is his hypatia remains as cold as the baths of apollo and it is not going too far to say that she is rather repellent of course she might answer that she did not mean to be otherwise in her poet's hands and that what he had shown her that she was rather arrogant in mind holding matrimony in high scorn and thinking but little better if any of maternity the passion of the ardent young monk philemon for this snow-cold divinity is not made altogether credible and his sister poor pretty pelagia who has lived the life of a wanton and is presently the paramour of the gothic chief amal is more winning in some things that take the heart she is passionately faithful to her huge stupid honest goth and she is kind to every one else with a willingness to see people happy even if they are not virtuous she is spiritually modest and at least unconscious in her other immodesty when she is awakened through the dim memories of childhood to the fact that she and philemon are sister and brother long ago carried captive from athens and sold into slavery she tries hard to let the monk bring her to a conviction of sin but though she is good christian enough to believe in hell she also believes in god and thinks he will take into consideration the peculiar circumstances under which she remains constant to amal whom the customs of the goths tribe will not suffer to marry her in all this pelagia is certainly not a better woman than hypatia but she is a more lovable nature and she does not make hypatia's fatal mistake of trying to transcend her own nature hypatia would have married the faithless prefect orestes in the hope of restoring the old greek faith though in her neoplatonism she is as passionless as he is faithless her author deals intelligently with her but somehow he fails to deal impressively and as regards the reader's sympathy or even interest he fails to deal successfully it may be that he suffers himself to be too strictly trammelled by history the historical romance must not of all things be historical and does not give his imagination free play in her character in any case she remains a woman without warmth of heart that supreme mode of motion without heat even of intellect she cannot therefore impart movement to the figures of the drama around her and centring in her the alexandria of the fifth century is a great scene with its wild monks doing the will of the bigoted cyril and wreaking their fanaticism now upon the jews and now upon the pagans with its roman prefect seeking to hold the turbulent population in check alternately by tyranny and flattery with its belated schools of greek philosophy with its church already sunk into superstition and corruption with its swarming masses of every race and colour the prey of every lawless impulse from within and without effete and hysterical violent and cruel kept from famine by public doles of food and amused by bloody public shows at once pitiless and shameless and hypatia is kingsley's endeavour and his failure to fuse all these warring elements into a dramatic whole in spite of his admirable conception of the situation his learning his poetic insight they will not respond to his intention they remain dispersed as they might not if they had been grouped about a central figure of more cohesive power 
but all the different particles seemed to crumble away from the repellent nature of the heroine whose fate the spectator beholds with compassion certainly but with more horror than compassion on a far higher plane than bulwer's work in the last days of pompeii kingsley's work in hypatia falls below it in artistic effect for bulwer cheap as he was was at least a melodramatist while kingsley was no dramatist at all but an exalted moralist willing to borrow the theatre for the ends of the church if we realise this we shall understand why his figures seem to have come out of the property-room by way of the vestry orestes the debauched roman prefect believing neither in the gods nor the saints but willing to propitiate the friends of either as they shall serve the turn of his ambition miriam the haggish slave-dealer who knows the common paternity of pelagia and philemon and is the mother of orestes's boon companion the brilliant jewish sceptic and cynic raphael aben ezra partner of orestes's passion for the snow-cold hypatia and destined to a true christian conversion theon the heavy father of hypatia who consents for his sake as well as her own ambition to listen to the suit of orestes the whole tribe of monkish and prelatic fanatics the forty gothic barbarians stalking large and blond through the scene and casually hewing down enough miscreants of every tradition and persuasion to satisfy the bloodthirstiest reader the hermits and fathers of the desert and the various soldiers students porters slaves and singing and dancing women who thickly people the scene all affect us like old friends from beyond the footlights the conception is not wanting in originality it is the performance which seems somehow second-hand in most cases the affair has many dramatic moments it often promises to be a drama but it never quite is so as a representation of antique life closer to our own than either that of quo Vadis or the last days of pompeii it lacks as much the brute plethora and intensity of the one as the histrionic knack of the other and yet the message it conveys is more vital than that of either it realizes to us that human motives and passions are immutably the same in all times and places that philosophy perishes in spite of its beauty and truth and that religion survives in spite of its ugliness and falsehood because it takes account of the things of the soul and philosophy cares only for the things of the mind it teaches that the christianity of the nineteenth century as well as the fifth needs to be saved from itself before it can save the world but that it alone can save the world kingsley was a poet i am always saying that and he passionately loved the artistic presence of the antique world he was one of those hellenizing english minds of whom keats was the first and finest and he stood in some such relation to the pagan past as one of the earliest greek christians might feeling the beauty of its ideality while abhorring its sensuality he was very fit indeed to write a much better story of the zealots and sophists of alexandria than he actually wrote in hypatia and i still think it was through his heroine that he failed if i fail to prove this and any reader recurring to the book after many years or coming newly to it shall find it greater than i have found it in my second reading i shall rejoice and save myself by 
making my critic observe that i always said the author was a poet three kingsley himself recognizes a difficulty in rehabilitating to the fancy the period he has chosen and this difficulty lies in the impossibility of telling all about paganism he could tell the worst about christianity but without a statement of the unnameable iniquities which the old faith suffered if it did not foster there could be no sufficient contrast of the two in paganism there could be no conviction of sin there could be offences against the will or the dignity of the gods but none against the spirit of righteousness such as quicken the soul of the offender to repentance and in like manner there could be no such meekness of heart as attributes its virtue to some source of goodness outside itself hypatia's enthusiasm for the pagan philosophy must ignore the foulness of the pagan life and her stainless personal purity must rejoice in itself as the effect of her own will she has but two passions or rather one for ambition includes jealousy and she is envious of the witchery which pelagia has for the hearts of men and cannot bear that the dancing woman should enjoy the triumph which she herself disdains she has her following of those who can adore beauty that lectures and illumines but she must have all or at least she cannot suffer that her rival should have any it will have been seen that hypatia after all does not escape being a woman she is indeed the more a woman in failing and it is in the throes of her self-recognized limitations that the heart warms to her a little hypatia angered that pelagia should be the supreme attraction of the spectacle that the prefect is planning is at least more tolerable than hypatia refusing to let pelagia profit by her teaching even at the prayer of her beloved pupil philemon because she will not have her own purity contaminated by pelagia's presence in her former mood she is at the worst sincere but in the latter mood she is at the best not credible even if she is sincere it is hard to see what side of hypatia is accessible to sympathy but the terrible spectacle of her death must inspire compassion this acquires reality rather from the passions of her murderers than from any quality of her own and it is difficult to conceive of her even as a living impersonation of intellectual pride suffering martyrdom is not she rather a statue to a belated ideal thrown down and broken to pieces by the sanguinary zealots of another faith it is hard even to believe in philemon her pupil and lover who has turned monk again but who deserts his brethren to warn her of their hate and to save her from their fury as she appears after her lecture in the street where they are lurking at last a curricle glittering with silver rattled round the corner and stopped opposite him a slave brought forth an embroidered cushion and then hypatia herself came forth looking more glorious than ever her lips set in a sad firm smile her eyes uplifted inquiring eager and yet gentle dimmed by some great inward awe as if her soul were far away aloft and face to face with god in a moment he sprang to her caught her robe convulsively threw himself on his knees before her stop stay you are going to destruction calmly she looked down upon him accomplice of witches would you make of theon's daughter a traitor like yourself 
she believed him guilty then it was the will of god the plumes of the horses were waving far down the street before he recovered himself and rushed after her shouting he knew not what it was too late a dark wave of men rushed from the ambuscade surged round the car swept forward she had disappeared and as philemon followed breathless the horses galloped past him madly homeward with the empty carriage whither were they dragging her to the caesareum to the church of god himself impossible why thither of all places on the earth why did the mob increasing momentarily by hundreds pour down upon the beach and return brandishing flints shells fragments of pottery she was upon the church steps before he caught them up invisible among the crowd but he could track her by the fragments of her dress he would save her and he struggled in vain to pierce the dense mass of parabolani and monks who mingled with fishwives and dock-workers leaped and yelled around their victim yes on into the church itself into the cool dim shadow with its fretted pillars and lowering domes and candles and incense and blazing altar and great pictures looking from the walls across the gorgeous gloom and right in front above the altar the colossal christ watching unmoved from off the wall his right hand raised to give a blessing or a curse on up the nave fresh shreds of her dress strewing the holy pavement up the chancel steps themselves up to the altar right underneath the great still christ and there even these hell-hounds paused she shook herself free from her tormentors and springing back rose for a moment to her full height naked snow-white against the dusky mass around shame and indignation in those wide clear eyes but not a stain of fear with one hand she clasped her golden locks around her the other long white arm was stretched upward toward the great still christ appealing and who dare say in vain from man to god her lips were open to speak but the words that would have come from them reached god's ear alone for in an instant peter struck her down the dark mass closed over her again and then wail on wail long wild ear-piercing rung along the vaulted roof but enough of this as the novelist himself would say poor hypatia framed of such great elements by the hand of a true poet how is it she fails of the due effect perhaps it is because of the double charge which the poet felt laid upon him as also a priest he must make her at once the beautiful apostle of a creed outworn and an example of its insufficiency to the needs at least of woman nature if not of human nature hawthorne could have dealt triumphantly with such a figure and wrapped us with the mystical and thrilling charm of its contrasts but not kingsley too earnest as he always was for the long patience of art and too perfervid in that zeal for his reader's soul first of all things the dramatist can preach and he does preach by hamlet by macbeth by othello who are never freed either of them to an absolute and single significance but if the preacher attempts to dramatize we forget his lesson in our sense of his failure the moral of hypatia is beware of spiritual pride and do not evil that good may come but what is the meaning of hypatia herself End of section twenty